Alright guys, I'm producer Ben and today we'll be picking up where Craig left off in yesterday's Manly Musings. So without further ado, here is Master Craig with part two of this week's Manly Musings. Hello there, this is Craig Cottle, director of Nature Blind School, co-host of the Survival Show, uh, <laughs> Survival Show podcast. Thanks for joining me again for Manly Musings and welcome back to part two of our go of foraging for food in the outdoors. Thank you for coming back and hearing about the things we're going to be talking about today. If you didn't check out part one, please do so. That podcast, I discussed edible plants, focused in on how to get resources, how to go about studying plants, and and the things that go along with helping you be able to find a lot of resources that have a lot of calories, a lot of nutrition, and stuff of that nature that grow right in your backyard, more than likely. Today, in part two, what I wanted to get into was hunting, trapping, gigging, the things that go along with that. Uh, I mentioned in part one that I might be discussing insects, and I, I got to thinking... As I was getting ready to record part two today, that we discussed that in depth with Joe Flowers. So look back in the podcast with Joe Flowers because he did a he did a better job than I could in discussing edible insects and larvae and and grubs and worms and grasshoppers and crickets and all the things that go along with it, ants and that kind of stuff. So dig into that podcast with Joe Flowers, and you'll hear a lot about being able to eat insects. He has an extensive, a whole lot more extensive knowledge and a scientific background to, to discuss that topic. What I do want to discuss today is getting into trapping. Trapping animals, whether they be mammals or you know whatever it might be that you're going to use to try to feed yourself and give yourself nourishment while you're in a survival situation. Uh, trapping basically involves, uh, there's, you know, in in layman's terms, there's three main parts to any trap, okay? The first is the engine, and that's the part or the portion of it that's going to make it go. If it's a mechanical device, it's usually some sort of spring, if uh, like a metal spring that we all understand what a spring is, some variation of it. Uh, sometimes the, the engine is gravity, pulling something down. Uh, oftentimes, if you use a snare trap where you're going to utilize a bent-over branch or something of that nature then that is the engine because the branch is not is pull the branch is pulled down in a way that it is not normal and so uh, it has a lot of energy that's behind it and once that energy is released then you have an opportunity to catch something the second part after the engine is the trigger the trigger is the portion that holds the trap in place until an animal releases it there's any number of different triggers that you can utilize on primitive trapping and traps that you can buy and purchase. Like, for example, I grew up catching rabbits in box traps. And basically, it's a box that has a, has a think of it as a set of scales. And on one side of the scale is a door, and on the other side of the scale is a trigger. And what I would do, and I, I caught, I cannot begin to tell you how many rabbits I caught this way in my lifetime is the box I just had a rectangular box the scale sitting on top of it the doors on one end on the other end is just a stick that sticks down in a hole and on that stick I would stick uh, or place a pear or an apple whatever is in that general vicinity that I could find because I would always try to catch rabbits in areas where there were uh, wild 
fruit trees is um, put that on there. And when the animal would come in and chew on the fruit, the stick would deploy, it would be triggered, and then the door would fall behind it. And then it was trapped in the box. And so rather simple design, really, but uh, it works and it works extremely well. The last part is of any trap. Again, number one is the engine. Number two is the trigger. Number three is the grabber. Is what portion of this trap is going to be something that's going to catch an animal. You've got to have something that grabs it. For the box trap that I just discussed, that was basically the door falling down. And the box itself that the animal was in is the grabber. And so after that, you can have snares that when they release from the trigger they pull up with a lot of force the whole goal in my mind in trapping is that that force that pulls the animal up and away has enough force to break the animal's neck which i'm just going to tell you if you're not familiar with doing this it's not easy to do but uh, if nothing else it's going to strangle the animal to death so my goal in everything that i do outdoors is if i have to take the life of something i want it to be as quick and as humane as possible i don't like to dilly dally i don't like for things to be suffering any longer than they have to um, so with that said i like to have a, a trigger and a and an engine that's got a lot of power behind it so that when it when it grabs a hold of something it's going to grab a hold of it and and hopefully by design kill it the other thing that we get into, and I think this is worthy of discussion, is deadfalls. Like, I, you know, I've done deadfalls because people are interested here in Kentucky, but I've caught anything and everything that I've ever needed to catch with snare traps and box traps. And so these snare traps in, in, are, are just incredibly simple, but deadfalls are going to be really useful tools in areas where you don't have the ability to build a snare. And, and they're just good on their own. It's just I've never had the need to actually use them that much. So I have limited experience with them. Um, we have utilized them in class with, you know, minimal, very minimal success. And there's just so many pieces of parts and everything's got to be put together right. And people got to know proper placement and all the things that go along with it. So deadfalls are, are worthy of your interest whether it's a Paiute deadfall or a figure four deadfall or something like that personally i like a split stick figure four deadfall i've got a video for that on my youtube channel i'm pretty sure but it's a real simple uh, trap to get together and uh, so you can check that out and check our youtube channel out Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Snares, again, are an opportunity for you to catch an animal. When we get into snares, basically it's like creating a noose that has that is attached to something that has a trigger. And when it's released, then that animal is caught. Your goal is to set that noose so that it is just slightly larger than the animal that you want to catch. And so the animal gets its head in there, and then that noose, if you will, is caught around the animal's neck. And that way you have a good opportunity to catch something rather quickly and and, dis- and kill it rather quickly. Uh, now, the, the big thing that people miss when you're studying traps is a lot of people will go out and learn how to set traps. They'll know how to build a figure four. I've seen this on YouTube and Instagram all the time, and it wears me out. It just wears me out is YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. you got these guys that build these traps, and they never go out and learn how to actually put them anywhere. Because that, I'm just telling you, putting them in the right location is the most important part of this process. You can build figure four traps and just willy-nilly put them in areas or snare traps, and and you'll just come up empty. But if you know where they are, then you're putting a higher percentage of likelihood onto your ability to catch animals. And so one of the ways that you can increase that statistical likelihood of catching something is obviously placing them on game trails or game runs, wherever game might be. And the other one is attracting animals to the trap. There's several different ways that we recommend doing it. Number one is food. If you know what an animal's food is and you can, and you have some of it in that environment, then put that food in or around the trap so that that animal's attracted to it. Uh, urine and feces. Sometimes you can use urine and feces as an attractant. Think of it this way. Uh, the way I try to describe it for people in classes is that urine and feces are kind of like a business card out in the wilderness. And so in that regard, what you have is animals coming around going, hmm, I wonder what that animal's eating and drinking and what have you. And that way it can find um, that food itself, if it finds that, Hey, this, this raccoon over here is eating corn and it sees that it's eating corn and it's poop, then it'll start looking for corn or try to find where the raccoon was and find the corn. It's a very interesting, uh, consideration. Scent glands. Some animals have, you know, this is how trappers caught beaver back in the day. You use the scent glands to uh, beavers themselves. You use scent glands to mark territory. And so, Uh, Trappers would take the scent glands from the animals and utilize that to attract other animals. And the last part is that if you catch an animal, you can use animal parts that may be normally discarded, maybe some organ tissue that you're not going to eat to attract animals to a trap because animals still smell... Uh, live animals will still smell that animal on that organ tissue and it'll bring them in. And sometimes it's been theorized that animals are trying to figure out what killed that animal. Um, I don't know if there's that much cognitive development and, and I can't say that for every single animal, but I do know that I've used particularly intestines to attract other animals 
into a trap. And I've used intestines from, let's say, a squirrel. I've utilized that to attract fish a lot of times, a whole lot of times. And so that is a, uh, you know, you, you can set out, just give you an idea, and I think I'm going to do this this weekend in survival class. I'm teaching a wilderness survival class this weekend, is um, taking the entrails from a squirrel that will possibly catch, uh, hopefully, if everything works out all right. And it's a hot summer trip, so we're going to be spending a lot of time working on fish and stuff of that nature around a, a river and putting those entrails into a net and putting them into the creek and the river and then utilizing that net to catch fish, uh, whether it's chubs or little small rock bass or something of that nature. It's just a great way to bring fish into that area. So... Um, those are some ideas for trapping. Some other things that we need to look at is basically some hunting strategies. Let's assume that you don't have any weaponry that, like a rifle or a pistol or something of that nature, a bow or anything of that nature, and you want to try to come up with solutions that will help you in a wilderness oh, crap event. Oh, man, I don't have anything. One thing you can build is a gig. Uh, if you just type in primitive gig on YouTube, you'll find all kinds of people teaching you how to build primitive gigs. You can th have rocks and throw and slings, whether you throw rocks on their own or through a sling. You know, it's a real common thing for a lot of primitive peoples to have used a sling to throw rocks. And with practice, you can get a good at it. It's not one of those things that you're going to be able to make that on the fly when you need it. And then, oh, miraculously, ooh, I have this skill. But what you can do is build some sort of sling and then practice with it now so that you have that skill when you're ready. Rabbit sticks are a thing that have taken on a life of their own. Um, rabbit sticks at, at, at their simplest form is just a stick about the length of your forearm, maybe a little bit bigger than your thumb. Uh, bigger than your thumb is smaller than your wrist in size. And you throw them and you hit animals, particularly birds is what I've had moderate success being able to do. Um, they're called rabbit sticks because obviously you can throw them at rabbits. But Doug Meyer, a friend of mine, he's a primitive skills technologist who learned a lot from Steve Watts. Uh, Steve Watts has a lot of fantastic drawings and research and data on uh, Steve Watts. I'm sorry, I should have made this clear. Steve Watts has passed away now, but um, Mr. Watts had all kinds of information on rabbit sticks, and, and Doug has shared that with us in our classes as well. So those are real simple. Uh, tools that you can utilize. One way that I've done this uh, in practice, not for in a survival event where I needed or even class, I just I, I read this somewhere. I can't even remember where, and I thought, man, I'm gonna try that. Was if you have a net or you have a poncho or a tarp or something, and you, you can sit and watch like a meadow area, for example, and see where birds when they get alarmed, where do they go? And then if if you can find a bush. For example, a small bushy material on the edge of that field, which is typically going to be around the edge of a field, go on the opposite side of the field from the bush and put a tarp up or a net or something of that nature and then go on the complete other side of the field. Obviously, this is a small field and wait until you see birds that are in the field feeding and when you go walking towards them, they will go to their bush of safety. And typically what birds will do, well, they will exit out the backside, basically putting the bush between them and their predator. And when they try to exit out the backside, guess what? 
you've put up a barrier for them and they can't get out and that's when you can throw in that rabbit sticking and possibly get something some of the other things are gigs and spears i talked about gigs earlier and i didn't mention spears i should have but obviously native peoples have made spears of all different sorts at atlatls for for you know incredibly long periods of time and they brought woolly mammoths down with a darn thing so surely you can make one and find a way to get smaller animals if not bigger animals uh there's i i follow a friend of mine not a close friend just an acquaintance is probably a better way of describing him and he kills a deer every year with an atlatl and that's just his methodology of doing it so they're very viable tools that you can utilize if you don't know what that is then look that up too that's a real simple thing or come to a class at nature blind school primitive skills class doug teaches blow guns and atlatl and flint napping and all that stuff for us on a regular basis so uh okay with that said that's some ideas and part one go back to that if you haven't listened to that and that one's going to detail some edible plants and in this one i just wanted to go over some hunting and trapping ideas and i'm already recognizing that fishing needs to be its own complete and total podcast on its own so maybe i'll break that down next time if i don't find something else i want to talk about so as always i really appreciate you hanging out with me for manly musings i hope you found it useful again i'll have some links in the description below for some of the resources that I mentioned in both part one and part two. And I would add, just pick up my book, Extreme Wilderness Survival, which again is linked in the description below because I've got a whole section on survival hunting and fishing and grubs and all the things that go along with it. All right, that's it. We'll talk to you soon. There you guys have it. I hope this was a very insightful and helpful Manly Musings. And don't forget to leave your comments and questions by going over to the Anchor homepage and clicking the send a voicemail button. We love, love, love hearing from you guys. You can also support us right there by clicking the support this podcast button. That helps us out a ton. All right, guys, till next time, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp. Sharp.